Hi, everybody. This is John Montoya. And this is John Parings. We're authorized infinite banking practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 26, how to get started with IBC in your 30s. That's when I got started with IBC. My policy says 40, but technically I was 39 when I started it. Well, we know, we know insurance companies like to uh, bump you up in insurance years. So uh, the way it works is if you're within six months of your next birthday, you're going to be bumped up to that next age level unless you backdate it. So yeah, um, getting started with your, in your 30s, um, the earlier you get started, you know, the better this is going to be for you. So Better, yep. So I think we have, uh, what's our summary for today? So I think we're going to talk about if we could go back and do things differently with our finances, what would we tell ourselves in our 30s? So last time, last episode was our 20s. So we, we went back to our 20s, went back in time. And uh, so now what would we tell ourselves in our 30s? Uh, what are the challenges facing 30-something-year-olds today? What should be our financial priorities in our 30s? The number two thing we hear people say the most, and it's still true in our 30s. <laughs> we did it. We said it the last time. Um, the top objections that we hear from 30-something-year-olds who might you know, be looking at starting IBC or, or buying life insurance. And then uh, finally, we're going to do a recommended reading list for 30-something-year-olds. Uh, at the end of the podcast. So that's the that's the outline of what we're looking for today. And so the first question is, if I could go back to my 30s, and we we're kind of joking and knock some financial sense into ourselves, what would we uh, what would we talk about, John? Well, for me, I, I thought I was on the right path, right? I, I thought I was doing everything the way that it should be done, following all the mainstream financial advice. And it turned out that all it took was for one correction, and it happened to be a tsunami of a, of a correction, right? Because the, the market, stock market went south simultaneously with the real estate market. And I was heavily invested in both. And so all the things I thought I was doing right turned out to be, well, put me in a position that I had never even fathomed. And uh, that's basically the school of hard knocks. I, I learned the hard way in my 30s. So if I could go back and do it all over again, I would have focused my attention on building a bulletproof foundation for my financial future. I didn't have that foundation going into my thirties. And so that, that's my biggest takeaway. What about you? Yeah. If I, I mean, if I could go back to my thirties, I would, I would say, Hey, why aren't you listening to what happened in your twenties? <laughs> because I did the same thing that I did in my twenties, which was put money in a, away in a 401k, lock it away for, you know, 30 years. And then when the second bubble popped in my career so far, the same thing happened to me. You were doing things more correctly than I was. You know, I ended up in the same place that I ended up in my twenties when the when the first bubble popped. And so, it was. Uh, if I could go back, I'd say, "Hey, hey, man, why don't you pay attention to uh, what already happened? Why are you doing the same thing that you did?" And you know, so what I find interesting is talking to people now. It's like amnesia sets in for everybody all the time. So we've got this like, you know, sky high record setting market going on right now. And everyone has already forgotten 
what happened in 2008 and what happened in 2000. I think it's going to be a problem for some people again, who just continued doing the same thing. So then I would go back to my 39 year old self and I'd say, Hey man, good job. Like good job setting up a, a foundation with uh, you know, rock solid, as you mentioned, rock solid foundation. And at least you figured it out at some point. That's what I would say. Yeah, absolutely. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You know, people are continuing to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. Well, what makes this different from last time? You've mentioned just having a plan B. And for most people, they have no plan B because they have not set that foundation and I I just think it's so paramount for all the listeners out there that they really take the time to look at what they're currently doing with their financial plan. Well, ask themselves, can I survive the next market downturn? Or what does that look like? How how long is it going to take me to get back to where I was before? It's no fun having to go backwards and then try to get back to where you were. Uh, we experienced it last year with a really quick rebound, and that was highly unusual, you know, where the market lost an incredible amount in March of 2020, and then all of a sudden had the biggest rebound ever. But do you really want to take that gamble the next time the market corrects that it's going to be a quick recovery? I personally don't. Totally. You know, if you if you go and look at the S&P from 97 to 2017, this just happens to be the graph that I had. So it's, it's three years old. In 97 and then in 09, there were two market resets that put the S&P 500 back at the almost exact same place as it was in 97. So it reset to the same place in, in about oh, between 02 and 03, and then it reset again to the same place in 09. Now we've got this huge run up in the market. What would it do right now you know, now we're what, 30 years later, how many times can it reset to the same place before it becomes a problem for you? If I could, if I could maybe change the wording of what you said about plan B, what about just a parallel plan, something that can work in conjunction with what you're doing? You don't have to change, you don't have to, you know, change everything you're doing, but what if you just had a parallel plan so that you could then take advantage of the next time, you know, that market reset happens rather than react to it? you know, and hope everything's okay. So um, I think that's one of the biggest things people are, are missing right now where they're just like high rate of high risk, high return. It's going to work. That's how it has to be, right? We take a bunch of risk, we'll get a high return. It's like, well, that's not actually what risk means. Right. And, and they don't have a capital position to mm-hmm. take advantage of the downturns in the market. Yep. Right. right. Everyone is so heavily invested in seeing these markets go up and up that they don't maintain Mm -hmm. a liquidity position. Yep. And part of that is because cash in the bank earns 0.1%. So there's no incentive there. But if you utilize IBC and you have this cash position, which is growing at four to 5% tax-free net of fees every single year, you've suddenly bumped up that cash position to where it's growing by 400 to 500 basis points each year. And you can now position yourself to take advantage of these downturns instead of being the ones that are running because there's blood on the street and you got to sell for a loss. And that's where you're putting yourself in a really 
horrible position because you're reacting to what what's happening in the market and suffering the consequences. Whereas someone who is utilizing IBC has that strong cash position, they can now take advantage of it. Yeah. I just had a conversation with somebody this morning and, you know, it's just like, because of today's low interest rates, you know, people just think cash has no value. And, it, and it's kind of true. If you keep your money in a bank, that's true. But what if cash did have value? What if it did earn a respectable rate of return? Like how would that change your behavior? I think if people think about that a little bit, they, they, it starts to make a little more sense as to why you might have some, some money in cash. Because I see two scenarios. People either have cash and it's just sitting in a bank not earning anything, or they don't have cash. And so then they're just like completely exposed to problems. They don't have an emergency fund. And so like either way, it's like, hey man, this is a great place to either start having some cash or it's a great place to stop leaving your cash somewhere where it's not doing anything for you. And uh, so that, you know, that turns infinite banking and life insurance into kind of a no brainer for a portion of what you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Going back to you know, my thirties, my even further back for me in my twenties, this is where I wish I would have started, right? Get that foundation set up. So I've got this cash position that's going to grow four to five times greater than what the bank will pay. And I could take advantage of whatever comes my way. Um, And I'm not talking just, you know, opportunities in the market, whether it's the stock market or real estate market, I'm talking about also curveballs in life. Cause let's face it, th- there's going to be curveballs every decade of our life. And unless we have a plan that can take care of us when we, when we have these hiccups in life, we're going to be you know falling back on our risk-based money and potentially selling at a time when we don't want to be selling. And that's, mm-hmm. that's another losing proposition. Absolutely. So if we're, we're talking about getting started in your thirties, what are, what's happening in someone's thirties? Well, maybe we could talk a little bit about, you know, what, what are 30 something year olds typically experiencing in their, in their financial life or just in their life in general? Well, I know for me, I was really getting settled into my career. And in fact, I I was really blessed to come across infinite banking and it changed my entire professional outlook and my my life uh, at a personal level uh, because of what it did for me starting at that point in 2007. And I think that probably rings true for, for most 30 year olds in that maybe had a few jobs or even been in a few different careers, and now they're starting to figure out where they're going to be long-term. But you don't have a plan that is set up to go wherever you want to go and allow you the flexibility to basically take advantage of whatever opportunities or options come your way. I think it's giving yourself the ability with your finances to go in any direction that you want to go, have that flexibility now that you're starting to figure out where you're going to be long-term. So that's one aspect of what's happening in your thirties. Totally agree. And, you know, they're, they're also 30 year olds are also kind of starting to make some money. Um, But like you said, they don't, they don't really have a plan, but you know, another thing that another thing that's happening in their thirties is 
college debt or even really any kind of debt. So college and credit card debt might still be a part of their lives. And so, especially in their thirties, a lot of people are actually getting out of different types of grad schools in their thirties. And what I've seen is just enormous amounts of school debt uh, for people in their thirties. And a lot of people, especially when they live in these high uh, cost areas like the coasts or in the, where we are in, in the tech, you know, Silicon Valley, the highest in the country, they start to find that it's very difficult to pay their living expenses and get out of debt. So having a strategy to do that and also a strategy where you don't just pay down your debt and now you're at zero. Using infinite banking, you can pay down your debt and have something at the end of that process that then will just keep snowballing for you. You want to snowball down your debt. By the time you're done with it, you should be able to start snowballing up your wealth. And you can do that a lot more efficiently when you're when you're building an asset, an infinite banking, whole life insurance asset that allows you to pay off that debt while growing a cash asset that'll put you in a better position when, when you're done. Yeah. And speaking of managing debt and credit card debt, student loans, they're also managing, they're having to manage their FICO scores and be very cognizant of where their scores are because, you know, with the lack of capital at their disposal, when they want to go buy their next car, right? They want to get the best financing that they can get. And so they're having to constantly be aware of where their FICO scores are. And I can tell you since starting the infinite banking strategy for myself, I don't have to think about what my FICO scores are ever. It's it's just a completely stress-free way to manage my financial life. Because if you think about it, FICO scores were developed for banks. It's, it's yes. a system that allows the banks to rate you to pay them back. And so you want to maintain those FICO scores to show that you are a worthy borrower to the bank. But if you have an IBC plan set up, you are your own bank. So you don't have to worry about those FICO scores anymore. So that that's definitely one thing I don't miss about being in my 20s and 30s is, you know, constantly having to stay on top of what my credit scores are. I could care less what my credit scores are now, which is a wonderful thing. I love that. Don't care about my FICO score ever. That's such ever. A good way to say it. That brings into another area where, you know, people might be looking at buying their first house, you know. I think the age at, with the, at which this happens changes depending on where you live. You know, we're in a very high cost area over here. So 30s are often the time people are looking at other areas of the country. It's in their 20s. The other thing that's happening is people are starting to get married. I mean, I remember in my 30s, I was going to tons of weddings, tons of weddings. And so it's like, how do you pay for your wedding? Number one, and how do you pay for all the weddings you have to go to, right? So those are some, there's some big costs on both both sides of the story there. How do you generate that money? So it's like, where's your vacation pool of money happening? Where's this wedding pool of money? Where's that? Where's that coming from? And so, by creating this pool of capital that's in your control, you decide what it can be allocated to as you go through the different stages in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I was joking around with you last week about you may have to plan for two weddings like I did. Again, life throws curveballs. You know, it would be wonderful to to get married and 
and be married. And that's your, that, that's your rock, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's a relationship that lasts forever, but uh, life doesn't always turn out that way. And so that was my experience now that, uh, you know, I'm on to uh, my, my second and hopefully forever marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, well, weddings are expensive. Uh, I've been through two of them. So I, I've seen the, just how expensive it is to throw one wedding, man, multiply it by two. And it, that's a huge headache. And I guess I'll be planning for a third one uh, eventually someday with my daughter too. So right. there's that coming, yep. I guess, when you're in your forties and fifties, when we eventually get there, the question is, well, how do we, how do we budget for that? Yeah. Whose bank are you going to pay back? Is the, is your daughter going to be able to pay the family back or will she have to pay the credit card companies back, you know, to, uh, to, to pay for this thing. On the other side of things, we start to see unexpected windfalls happening in our thirties. We've talked about the stock option thing just because of the, where we are, you know, we see a lot of, um, a lot of stock option windfalls. So, you know, first of all, where does that windfall go? You know, you just took a bunch of risk working for a startup company and it worked out. Now you're going to, are you going to take that windfall and just risk the whole thing all over again in the stock market? Or do you want to put that somewhere where it can never lose money and, and be the source of capital for all the future investment that you want to do, where maybe you'll become an angel investor and a venture capitalist and, 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 and start investing in companies yourself. You know, a lot of people I wrote an article about this where a lot of people love to track the venture capital here in the, in the Bay area, but in their personal financial lives, they kind of miss a big word in the term venture capitalist. And that's the capital and they, they don't have any. And so it's like, well, if you want to, if you want to become a venture capitalist, where's your capital? You know, do you have any, where are you keeping it? Where do you store your cash? You know, that's, that's the thing. And then on the flip side of that, we've talked about before, you know, how are you going to efficiently exercise all those stock options? Where do you have cash to do that? Or, or are you going to have to liquidate a bunch of your shares just to exercise your stock and pay the tax? Are you going to miss out on a big upside because you don't, you're not well capitalized and you don't have the cash to do it? And then on the other side of windfalls is, you know, you might start seeing some inheritances. Parents start to get to that age. Grandparents start to get to that age and we're, we're left with some money. Again, your grandparent or parents or both, you know, whatever it is, they, they just spent their whole lives saving up and to give something to you, to pass something along to you. You're going to just take that and risk it all in the stock market again. By the way, I know we, we kind of sound like we're hating on the stock market all the time. Not saying don't do it, but shouldn't you have some that guarantees that 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 legacy is locked in and protected for the rest of your life and protect the legacy that was just given to you, protect that and do your job in making sure that 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 there's a guaranteed portion of that 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 you can then pass on. Yeah, I think it really boils down to building the foundation first, Mm -hmm. so that you can build from strength. It's it's like building a house on a large rock versus on sand, mm-hmm. right? You can build identical houses, but the one that's built on the rock is going to last for a very, very long time. The house that's built on sand, well, what happens when the tide comes in and goes back out? That right. foundation is going to crumble. And that's what happens when 20-somethings, 30-somethings build their financial foundation based off a market 
approach where, you know, everything is, is tied up. What we see so much in 401ks and, and mutual funds, you know, in taxable accounts and everything is just riding that roller coaster up and down and there's no foundation really to speak of. Yep. And that kind of, that ties into estate planning. What are you doing with your estate? So, you know, in, in, in your thirties, when people are starting to get married, have children, they start to, you know, get inheritances themselves. They start to think about their estate planning. So not only for them, but for their parents, you know, sometimes, you know, the kids are kind of the ones that are like, Hey, Hey dad, you got everything squared away. I know I, I did that with my dad and he had it pretty squared away. He had a will, but he didn't have a trust. You know, I had to go through the probate process. And even though he had a will, it was about almost a year long process just to put all of his affairs in order and go through the, go through the courts to have the little bit of a, of a state that he did a great job saving up. He was never a high income earner, but, and my mom, neither was my mom. So, you know, they, they didn't make a whole lot of money, but man, they did a great job, you know, respectively of just saving money. So they, you know, they passed a little bit of an estate onto my sister and I, but it took a year to go through that. And so, you know, do you have a will and trust set up? Do you, are you able to protect your assets from creditors, lawsuits and, and the probate process? You know, that not a lot of people realize the probate process, you've got to put all your, your families, all that stuff becomes public. So all the creditors can come knocking on your door you know, anything that you don't know about. And so it's kind of locked up for a period of time and it just takes a lot of time, which equals money to, uh, to go through that process. And it's definitely one of the benefits of IBC is that the plan automatically bypasses probate. Yep. That portion of your net worth completely private. If you're not yet thinking about setting up a, a will or a trust, really you should be in your thirties, but also, uh, maybe even more important, just having the conversation with your parents about what they're doing. Cause we're talking about unexpected windfalls. The last thing you want to do is like in your experience, you know, having to wait a year to receive that windfall, you want to make sure you have the conversation with their parents to make sure that they have everything tied up in a nice, neat bow. That way their instructions are, are set, their wishes can be fulfilled. And if you do have, in this case, an expected windfall coming your way, you can receive it in an expedited fashion. I think going further there too is a conversation about your parents and who will take care of them um, when they're older and, and could no longer take care of themselves. So that that's also a topic I think yeah, is really important, important for 30 year olds to be having with their parents because they took care of us. And I, I think it's really on us to return the favor, but you have to start by having that conversation with your parents. How's that going to happen? Yeah. Staying on will and trust, you know, if, if you don't have a plan for your estate, the government has one for you. You know, especially if you are someone and you have small children, you absolutely want a will and especially a trust to handle even life insurance. So if you and your spouse both don't make it, you really want to have a trust for that that life insurance death benefit to go into for your minor children. You don't want to leave a death benefit directly to a minor because then the government gets involved again. Right. So it's hugely important to have um, both of these things squared away. Um, and it's one of those things that like, it always gets put on the back burner. You know, I didn't, 
I didn't take it seriously till my dad passed away. And I had to, I, I did the probate process. I'm like, this sucks. I don't want anybody to have to do this. So I, I got a will and trust put in place. And so that's why I added that to my practice to offer really easy, low cost wills and trusts Cause everybody that I talked to, I'd say 80% of them don't have one in place. So it's, it's a pretty big deal. In the case of lawsuits, you know, how much of your wealth is protected from creditors? You know, life insurance cash value, depending on the state you're in, um, does have some creditor protection. It's a little bit less in California than it is in other states. But just taking a look at some of these things and, and making sure that, you know, as you're kind of moving along through your career, you might be getting more aggressive starting businesses, you know, m- getting into investments. And just making sure that you have every protection that you can for yourself and and your wealth. And then the the last thing that we have here that you should be thinking about if you're in your 30s is your own health, because our health is something that we tend to take for granted. The younger we are, the the more invincible we definitely feel. But w- one thing's for certain: the the older you get, the the likelihood of you maintaining your health starts to go down and you want to be able to take advantage of your good health while you still have it. And so one of the benefits of an IVC plan is that you're going to lock in your health for the rest of your life. And it's, it's unfortunate when we do talk to people, uh, even in their thirties who, you know, have experienced some sort of medical hardship and now can no longer qualify for an IVC plan. They desperately want it but they can't get it. So something to think about if you're in your thirties is, well, how do you lock in your health now so that you can take advantage of this IBC plan and have all the benefits that we're talking about? It's something that we definitely cannot take for granted because the, the older we get, the more frail our health condition can become. Maybe I could just add one thing because it'll segue into the next section, which is, you know, the common advice most people get. And so what just, but quickly talking about locking in your health, you know, even if you're not ready to, you know, wrap your head around infinite banking or permanent life insurance, you know, a really easy decision that you can make is to just buy some convertible term insurance, the cash flow required uh, to pay the premiums is much lower than permanent insurance and just lock in your insurability for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Um, And then you can make some decisions later if you want to turn that into permanent insurance. It's a great strategy. And so um, unless you have anything you wanted to add to that, John, I was just going to segue that into the, the advice that most people get in their 30s. I think that last tip is a great one. We call it future planning, especially if if your budget is tight, securing a term policy. So when your income does increase, your cash flow does increase during your 30s, you've now locked in your health so you can take advantage of it to set up your IBC plan. That's a great yeah. tip. Speaking of term insurance, most people as they're as they're starting to take their their planning a little more seriously, most people hear the advice of buy term, invest the difference. And that's, that's the typical thing. You know, a lot of people are just putting money into 401ks, locking it away for 30 years and buying the cheapest term insurance they can. The cheapest means it's not convertible. So the only thing you're buying is term term insurance. So before we kind of address the buy term, invest the difference, which we've done in the past as well, 
if you're going to buy term and invest the difference, at least buy some convertible term. Because the, the, the only thing we know for sure is that things are going to change. Our priorities will change as we go through life. Our needs will change as we go through life. So convertible term is like buying an option, which gives you the right, but not the obligation to, to convert that into permanent insurance. But speaking of just buying non-convertible term, it's a really it's a very costly move. So again, we're not saying don't buy term. We use term all the time, but more as supplemental term to a, to a permanent policy to cover the full human life value of a client. But if you don't have permanent insurance, it will cost you money in the future. You're either going to buy permanent insurance now, or you're going to buy it later by having to spend all your other assets in the future. And so they're referencing episodes six and 23, we talk about how permanent insurance allows you allows the policy owner to seamlessly transition from income protection during your income earning years over to asset protection during your retirement years so that you can use and enjoy more of your assets that you've accumulated over the course of your life and still pass on to the next generation. One footnote to add there, when you go to secure that convertible term, you want to make sure that the conversion option will go to a whole life policy. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of convertible term plans out there where you can only convert it to a universal policy mm -hmm. that essentially yeah. does you no good. So if you're taking notes, make sure that you get a convertible term policy that allows you a conversion to a whole life policy. It'll save you a world of trouble later on when you come to figure out that, well, you can only convert this plan to a universal policy, which goes against the mission of IBC and, and utilizing whole life policies for their safety and guarantees and liquidity, no, um, no surrender penalties, so on and so forth. You want to make sure you have the right type of convertible term. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just going to add one quick thing to that because I just had a whole forum debate with somebody about this and you know, even outside of IBC, you know, if your only option is to convert to UL, well, UL is based on yearly renewable term insurance. So your term insurance will just keep getting more expensive from there. Um, and, and so that's why you want to make sure you can, you can convert it to whole life where the, the costs of the insurance are guaranteed for the life of the contract. I think I just heard Nelson say, amen. <laughs> Well, another one that comes up as far as the reason to have some permanent insurance is if you have it now, it's as cheap as it's ever going to be, you know, in terms of the, the, the premium dollars that you have to put into buying permanent insurance. What will often happen is when people get into their 50s and 60s and start actually thinking about estate planning, their estate planning attorney will say, hey, you should buy some permanent life insurance to cover the cost of the taxes that will be due in the form of estate taxes, or to just give yourself uh, some more breathing room to spend down some of your other assets. And by the time they do this, the insurance is just way more expensive. And so if you just did this early on, which gets to the, the what I was mentioning before, the number two thing we hear when we talk to people about I, IBC or and or whole life insurance in general, is that they wish they had done this 20 years ago. Well, guess what? You're doing it 20 years early now. You can do. You can still do it if you're in your 30s and even in your 40s. You'll already have this asset set, set up so that by the time you talk to your estate planning attorney, you're like, hey man, I got it covered. I got this big 
whole life insurance death benefit ready to go. Yeah. I can't say I've ever had the experience of any of my long-term clients saying, oh man, I, I wish I would have waited to get started. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always the opposite. Even, you know, it's funny is that we, we talk to uh, people in their twenties and the funny thing is they'll say, oh man, I, I, um, I wish I would have heard about this sooner. Well, 20s, 30s, if, if you're in that decade of your life and getting started with IBC, you're well ahead, I'd say, of the average IBC client, at least, at least for me. My average client is typically in their 40s when they get started. Yeah, same. You know, one of my youngest clients is is um is in his late twenties or early thirties. I forget. We just talked yesterday. You know, kind of early in his career, starting to. He's not making a ton of money right now, but he's on a track that you know he's going to be making some pretty good money. But he's got like you know less than a hundred thousand in debt, but it's still a little bit up there. And he was kind of like, man, I wish I didn't have all this debt. And we just had the conversation. I'm like, man, you are starting twenty years earlier than I did, 10, 20 years earlier than I did. And you're going to be squared away, man. We have a plan to pay this debt down using, using your infinite banking policy. Good job because most people don't even take it seriously until they're 40. Let's talk about the objections of getting started in your thirties though. And it tends to be a mental mindset. So let's go into those. As we mentioned before, you know, their investor personas are starting to develop, you know, they're starting to make some money. They're like, Hey, well, you know, maybe I should be doing something with this money. And, and so if they do, so this is like an objection. If they are interested in life insurance, they are interested in infinite banking. Because as we discussed, a lot of times they're not there yet, even though they should be, they tend to focus on the cash value versus the death benefit, which is understandable. They're like, I don't really need a death benefit right now. At least they don't think they do. But when we're talking about a permanent death benefit, here's some news for many people out there. You can't have cash value. You cannot have cash value without a death benefit. Okay. So that's number one. So you, you do have to have a death benefit, but the good news is the bigger your death benefit is, the more cash value you have because it's really with a whole life insurance policy, the, the cash value is just the net present value of a future death benefit, right? And so like the 20-year-old, they're less focused on the death benefit, but I'm going to pose the opposite end of the, or the other side of the coin for this. If you have a family or you think you will have a family in the next, you know, however long, when you're younger, you actually have a lot more to lose in terms of income and your ability to earn an income than someone that's 50 years old. So the death benefit in some ways is more important for you than it is for someone in, in their 60s because you have to replace that income for your family. And your number one asset is the ability to earn an income. And if that goes away, your family has a lot more to lose than someone who's you know already earned an income for 40 years. And think of it this way too. Even though the death benefit might not have any or very little value yeah. for someone in their 30s. If you could fast perceived forward value, right? Perceived value. Mm -hmm. If you could fast forward 30 years into your future, and this is where I'm having so many conversations these days with people who are nearing retirement and I'm putting together retirement income plans for them. And what I find is that having the death benefit in these life insurance policies gives them more options when it comes to mapping out 
how they're going to generate income in retirement. If you don't have a death benefit, which gives you that permission slip to spend down other assets, you're losing potentially thousands of dollars in potential income because you have to take more risk. You have no guarantees with the traditional market-based approach. Having the death benefit secured at an early age, and especially with IBC where it's going to continue to grow year after year, it really sets you up in your retirement plan because it is going to give you more options and also more certainty with how you're going to generate income. It's just a facet of financial planning, I think has yet to be fully explored because most of the people who are retiring, they're you know in the five to 10 year retirement zone, they've built up their 401k and IRA, but they have no idea how to generate income from it. But the, the people who have both those assets and an IBC type plan, or maybe just a, a whole life plan, a traditional whole life plan, they suddenly have more options to create a more abundant retirement because they took care of their insurability with a permanent policy in their 20s, 30s, maybe even their 40s. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of people still in their 30s aren't really thinking about that side of it yet. And you kind of, you, you had a good way of putting it when we were talking about people in their 20s in the last episode, and it really kind of applies to their 40s. And it's like, hey, listen, yeah, this thing has a death benefit, but don't even worry about it right now. It's just going to, we can talk again when you're in your 40s and 50s and you're going to be super pumped to find out that you've got this permanent gigantic death benefit to do all the things that you just mentioned. But for right now, it's okay. Focus on the cash value, but just realize that you can't have the cash value without the death benefit. An IBC advisor will be able to walk you through how that will work and how to give you the cash value that you want and still have the death benefit. So understanding that, let's just focus on the cash value. Don't worry about the death benefit. It's going to be there and you'll be happy it is 10, 15, 20 years down the road. But as far as the cash value goes, where else can you put cash where you get uninterrupted compounding growth with a respectable tax deferred rate of return, tax free if you use it correctly? And it's completely under your control. You know, it's like, you don't have to worry about, it's not tied to your employment. It's not tied to a qualified plan. You don't have to report it in the, on your tax return. Like uh, it has creditor protection. Like where else can you, where else can you do that other than whole life insurance, which is why it makes a perfect asset to perform the process of infinite banking. Yeah, absolutely. And I just go back to building a foundation where can you build a foundation of wealth that combines all these benefits? You, you mentioned a few of them, um, adding on to those that you mentioned, you know, no market losses, the ability to lock in your health insurability forever, the ability to earn 40 times greater than what the bank will pay you for your cash, the ability to be your own boss financially. So even if you're W2'd, well, you now have an asset that puts you in the financial chair to, to essentially be your own boss. You can dictate where your investments are going to go because you're sitting in a cash rich position. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, you give yourself ultimately in retirement, the ability to have more options for income because you have this plan set up. Yeah, that's like the the two businesses, you know, even if you're a w, W2 employee, guess what? You can start your first business and that business is the business of banking. 
and you can be your own bank. The most important business in the world. That's right. Awesome. Let's get into the recommended reading list for someone in their thirties. Yeah. What do you recommend, John? So, you know, we've already recommended becoming your own banker, obviously. And I think there are some, some books that can be read after that kind of crystallize the idea a little bit. First one is called Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. That's also by Nelson Nash. And it helps to kind of further understand what you can be doing with IBC a little bit more. And so once you understand the concept, now you can start reading some books that get you a little bit closer to the, you know, rubber hits the road kind of thing. The second one is Financial Independence in the 21st Century. The reason I like that one is because it, it actually does a good job of turning on its head some of the you know typical financial planning advice that you'll hear and allows you to see what you can do with some of the cash value during your income earning years and in retirement. I like that book quite a bit. There's another one that's not a book, but it's a website and that's called youneedabudget.com. It's Y-N-A-B, B as in boy.com. And the reason I like this is if you're like me in my 30s, I was like a financial disaster because I didn't have a budget. This this was good for people in their 20s or really anyone who kind of just wants to get a handle on their money. This is the best actual budgeting software that I've seen where, you know, other other softwares out there like mint.com and personal capital and some of those, I don't really think those are budgeting. They do give you a snapshot of what's going on with your financial life, but YNAB really is a true budgeting software. So if you want to get really granular and really understand where you are, I think this is a great tool to do that. So those are the three. Yeah, I love that book, Financial Independence in the 21st Century by Dwayne Burnell. Definitely one of my favorite books. I highly recommend listeners check that one out. And the website that you mentioned was brought up in a conversation with a client I had a review with a month ago. He brought up that website. So funny that you're mentioning it here. I haven't been to that website, but sounds like they're doing it right. They're doing it right. And you can create a personal budget. You can create a budget for your company. You know, so it's a, it's a pretty powerful tool. Actually, I'll add one more book where we kind of will, you know, talk about like finance and practical books. And then there are some books that we, we recommend just more from a mindset perspective. And there's one out there that I think is, is really interesting to read and it's called Defending the Undefendable by Walter Block. I think it's worth reading because it, it makes you challenge your current assumptions for a lot of things like, you know, the, the slumlord kind of talks about slumlords in there and like, well, are they really bad people? These slumlords, it'll, it'll kind of tackle that blackmail. (laughs) It'll talk about, um, you know, slander laws, things like that. I, I think it's a cool book to just maybe think about things from a little bit of a different angle. Well, that, that'll definitely uh, sound, sounds like a pager. Yeah. I haven't heard of that one before. So thank you for sharing that one. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I think the main thing is if you're in your 30s, it's time to start really getting serious about what you're doing financially. For both of us, we found ourselves financially in our 30s and really set the course of where we're going to head directionally. And for listeners out there, this is the time to really lock in and build that foundational piece of your plan. Because if you don't, guess what? Another decade from now, you're going to wish that you had. So appreciate all the listeners out there. If you do have questions for us, definitely do feel free to reach out to us or even book a consultation with John or myself. You can do that by going to the fifth edition.com. 
Uh, John, any last thoughts or comments? Now, this was a great talk. It was kind of a long one too. So hopefully uh, you guys get a lot out of this. Awesome. Well, thanks, John. And uh, to all the listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll connect with you on the next episode. See you, everybody.